Hello, it's Bernice Harrison here. In the News is taking a short break this week, but we have another episode from the archives today. This is the story of the Australian mushroom poisoning, where three members of the same family died after eating a beef wellington. We recorded this episode in August, when Erin Patterson, the woman who cooked the meal, was still just a suspect in the case. But in November this year, she was charged with three counts of murder and five of attempted murder. Her trial will begin in May next year. Last month, in the sleepy Australian town of Leongatha, just two hours south of Melbourne, a family lunch ended in tragedy. What I can tell you is that I just can't fathom what has happened. I just can't fathom what has happened. Within days of the lunch, three of the four guests would be dead, with another fighting for his life in hospital, where he remains today. What was originally thought to be an unlucky dose of food poisoning is now believed to be a deadly mushroom poisoning from a variety known as the death cap mushroom. The death cap usually has a pale green, yellow or olive brown top with white gills and stem and a cup-like shape at its base. The host of that family lunch was 48-year-old Erin Patterson. She told police that she also became unwell after the meal, but unlike her guests, she recovered quickly. Police have now named her as a suspect in the deaths. However, the mother of two maintains it was just a tragic accident. And I can't believe that this has happened and I'm so sorry that they have lost their lives. How are you I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. The question Australian police are now desperately trying to answer is not who done it, but rather, did Patterson accidentally kill her guests? Or is there something more sinister at play? We have to keep an open mind in relation to this, um, that it could be very innocent, uh, but again, we just don't know at this point. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the mysterious case of the Australian mushroom poisoning with John Ferguson, the journalist who broke the story, and Charlie Bazina, a retired homicide detective who has investigated some of Australia's most high-profile cases. John, you are an associate editor with The Australian and you've been covering this story since it broke last month. So could you bring us back to July 29th when Erin Patterson was hosting what turned out to be a deadly lunch? Who was there? So basically it started out with uh, Erin Patterson, who is a 48-year-old mother of two. She invited her in-laws, her actually estranged in-laws, Don Patterson and Gail Patterson, Erin Patterson had split up with uh, her husband about three years earlier. The other couple that that, uh, were invited were Heather Wilkinson and Ian Wilkinson. Ian Wilkinson is the local Baptist uh, pastor and Heather Wilkinson is related to the other couple. The four people are all aged in their 60s or their 70s and through marriage are related to uh, Erin Patterson. Was it not a little strange that her in-laws were being invited to lunch if she'd been separated from her husband for so long? Or was was there a reason for the lunch? Look, it is a little bit strange, I suppose, that usually when marriages are 
end, then uh, the relationships with the in-laws can, uh, let's say, either drop off dramatically or fade over time. Uh, you know, but the other part of looking at it might be that these are all very pleasant people, small community. Aaron Patterson has uh, two children, grandchildren of uh, two of the deceased now. Um, so you can read you can read a lot into these things, but then sometimes you can read too much. It might simply have been, uh, you know, just a get together. However, I would add the speculation is that it was some sort of mediation, uh, which we haven't heard from any of the people involved about this, but there is a lot of speculation that it was a mediation lunch to try and get things, I suppose, back back on track between Aaron Patterson and the in-laws. What age are her children and were they at the meal? They're of roughly of early high school age, which is, so uh, you know, 10 to 13, 14. Um, and we know that they weren't at the lunch. They were at the, at the cinema seeing a movie, according to Aaron Patterson. However, the head of the homicide squad he, he claimed that they were at the lunch. So there, there's a bit of conflict there, but I suppose that that's Aaron Patterson's story, that they are at the cinema and they weren't at the lunch. So after the elderly guests left her home, all four of them began to feel unwell. What kind of symptoms were they displaying? So what, what we need to explain is they believe, forensics believe, uh, but we haven't got the final test back, is that they were uh, fed... Uh, maybe accidentally, maybe deliberately, uh, death cap mushrooms, which are incredibly toxic. They grow in Ireland. Uh, they grow in Europe and other parts of the world. They are the fentanyl of, um, of, of mushrooms. You don't need much to uh, lead to uh, a slow, very ordinary death. Uh, what the symptoms are, nausea, uh, gastrointestinal uh, issues, they're the main two things. But it takes days. What they do if you get a significant dose of these death cap uh, mushrooms, uh, it takes days for hell to unfold inside people's um, systems. They attack the kidneys, the livers, and after, let's say, a week, death is often I inevitable. So we know what was on the menu, and what was on the menu was beef wellington. Now, beef wellington is traditionally made with a layer of mushrooms. Where did Erin say she got the mushrooms? Well, so initially she gave effectively a no-comment um, interview to police, but now it's turned out in a statement that her lawyers have handed to police, she's saying that they were sourced either out of a, an unnamed Asian grocery store in, uh, in Melbourne, which is Australia's second biggest city, which is not far from where this all unfolded. Uh, and she's also saying she got some mushrooms from a, uh, a mainstream supermarket. So that's where she's saying she got them from. Of course, um, the supermarkets are presumably saying, look here, we, we didn't sell death cap mushrooms. There's no way we could have. So what, what's happened is that there are about a dozen uh, Asian supermarkets around where Erin uh, Patterson owns a townhouse, and everyone's been around. All the all the media, the health department, everyone's been to various places, and of course, everyone says, "Well, we don't sell death cap mushrooms." You know, the question has to be asked: Is it possible that uh, this happened? Yes, it's possible. Is it plausible or likely? Well, that's up for the police to decide. But you would say there's a there's, there's a giant question mark around the story. She also said that she bought the, the, from the Asian um, grocery about three months ago. So that makes it even harder for investigators to work out what, what uh, might actually have happened. 
Aaron Patterson has been named as a suspect by the police because, well, I suppose she cooked the lunch and she is the only person who attended the lunch that didn't become seriously ill, um, despite the fact that she says she ate the beef Wellington. What can you tell us about Erin? Well, she's a bit of a mystery, I have to say, uh, up to a point, in that um, she's the daughter of quite a prominent child literature uh, professor who passed away uh, a few years ago. So she comes from uh, Melbourne's eastern suburbs. She lives in country Victoria now, about an hour and a half from Melbourne. For uh, the listeners, if you can imagine, the southern tip of mainland Australia, so basically it then leaps across the water and into Tasmania. Um, so she's, uh, you know, she's a city girl who's ended up in the um, in the country. She's very, uh, I would describe her as a shy woman. Um, uh, she's smart. You know, a neighbour told me that she's sort of into unicorns and that sort of thing. Uh, I would say that she's a pretty, not quite reclusive, but she keeps to herself. Um, but she's, she's quite smart. That was the thing that leapt out at me. I think she's quite bright. Look, I think it's important not to forget that this is a tragedy in which three people have died, with one, Ian Wilkinson, still fighting for his life in hospital. In an interview on her doorstep, Erin was visibly emotional and upset over the deaths. What did she say to reporters? She was very, yeah, she was emotional, and and you've, you know, I sort of tend to uh, uh, take people at face value. I mean, she it really struck me that she was emotional. She said that she loved um, uh, Gail and Don Patterson, uh, and 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 by inference, the the the, uh, the other couple who were affected by this. <laughs> take your time. Gail was the mum that I didn't have because my mum passed away four years ago. And Gail's never been anything but good and kind to me. And Ian and Heather were some of the best people I've ever met. They never did anything wrong to me. I'm so devastated about what's happened. Uh, she, she told me that she, she felt like she was being treated like a witch, uh, that she absolutely hates the, um, the attention and she just wants the journos to, to leave. But then as as you know we're talking uh you're in you're in Ireland I'm I'm in Australia this is a massive story she's probably not going to get that wish in the short term and you must be pretty shaken up by this as well I'm devastated I love them and I can't believe that this has happened and I'm so sorry that they have lost their lives Now, Erin, originally, uh, as you say, she said no comment when uh, when interviewed first by the police. But then she provided the police with a lengthy statement about what happened before, uh, during and after the fatal lunch. What did we learn from that statement? Well, I suppose the main thing that I took out of that statement was that Erin uh, Patterson, uh, she confirmed that there was a rift effectively between her and Simon Patterson, her ex-husband. She said that when she was in, in, in a hospital, an unnamed hospital, Simon Patterson had asked her directly whether she had used a food dehydrator to help poison his parents. Uh, that, that's a pretty dramatic allegation. And you've got to ask the question, A, why would he ask the question? Why would he, why would he suspect that his wife uh, might might poison someone. And I suppose one of the answers to that, there is deep speculation 
that uh, Simon Patterson believes that Aaron Patterson had tried to poison him in the past. Now, we can't say whether that's true or not, um, but it's certainly what is being discussed at the moment. It's been revealed this morning that the ex-husband of a woman at the centre of Victoria's mushroom poisoning mystery almost died from a mystery gut illness last year and was placed into an induced coma. He nearly died twice uh, in the middle of last year and, and, he, and he had gastrointestinal issues, serious. He, he had basically the family were called in twice. Um, so uh, that's a quite dramatic uh, background to uh, the rift which was exposed in that statement to police. And you've mentioned that this food hydrator, that's a device that can be used to dry mushrooms or, well, other foods, it has to be said, and that this particular dehydrator belonging to Aaron has now become a focal point in the investigation. Can you tell me about that? In that first interview, which was largely no comment, um, you know, it's believed that she told police that uh, she had a, f- a food dehydrator that she'd got rid of about uh, a few months ago. Now, what actually turned out was that uh, she only got rid of the dehydrator after after the poisonings occurred at her house. And police actually, pretty good detective work, pretty obvious, but pretty good detective work. They went to the local tip about six miles out of town and, and found uh, what they believed to be the food dehydrator that she had used to help cook this meal. So obviously forensics will be looking very closely at that. Now, she she said she panicked about the food dehydrator because she thought she might lose custody of her children if um, if suspicion fell heavily upon her, which of course it has now. A community in regional Victoria will today gather to remember the three victims who lost their lives after a suspected poisoning. A day of prayer will be held for Gail and Don Patterson and Heather Wilkinson at a local church in Leongartha. John, you've been writing about the eerie silence which has descended upon the towns of Leongartha and Corumbura. How is the town coping with the tragedy? Oh, look, it's like all of these things. It's very, um, very much, they're, they're just really struggling, I think, because of the, the status uh, of the people and the, the shock of, of what's happened. If you can imagine, uh, there are two towns. When you put the two towns together, they're the size of Wicklow, uh, south of Dublin. So roughly 5,000 people in each town. The uh, Wilkinsons and the Pattersons, uh, the, the elderly people who were caught, caught up in this, they come from a town called Corumburra and they are basically pillars of the community. It's a cliche, but Ian Wilkinson, who's actually fighting for his life in hospital, he's the Baptist pastor. They're all religious. They're all community workers. Don Patterson and Gail Patterson both worked in education. Don was a highly respected uh, physics teacher at the secondary school. Um, you're really looking at a smaller town community where these people probably sit up at the top of the sort of, if you could put a gauge, they would be at the top of the respect gauge in the communities. I suppose the the parallel, a long time ago, I went to Dunblane after about the anniversary after the shootings. Now, that's much, much more serious in the sense of the large loss of young life, but it was. It reminds me a little bit of that. That people are just in complete shock. That uh, you can have these pillars of the community. Uh, Corumbara has under five thousand people. 
everyone knows everyone. Um, and and the other silence I'm uh, talking about, there's no doubt the police have said, do not talk. I suspect because they have a lot of evidence and have a have a have a clear path of where they're taking the investigation. Now, whether that leads to charges or not is 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 not not clear. John, thank you very much. Thanks, Bernice. Coming up, retired homicide investigator Charlie Bazina on the questions that still need to be answered. Charlie, you are a retired homicide investigator with the Victoria Police. Now, how difficult are these types of cases to investigate? Look, they're very difficult. Uh, and given what's transpired, um, the fact that she's uh, spoken to the police um, and now she's got legal advice, as uh, she's quite entitled to do, I see that she's also got a media advisor because you can imagine the throngs of the media that have landed on uh, Lee Gather seeking to speak with her. She's provided uh, police with a prepared statement through her lawyer. And it's all about innocence because everyone is, is presumed innocent until the contrary is proven. That's the role of the investigators. Has a crime been committed? Um, and these are difficult to try and establish uh, the criminality of it. Criminality can be shown by actions that will show intent, history about uh, any other previous um, situations similar to this. So it's a matter for getting all that information. And my gut feeling tells me that the investigators may end up with possibly at best I think they'll end up with a circumstantial case that will be referred to our Director of Public Prosecutions to consider, is there enough evidence that a jury would convict? Uh, and there's, from our laws, there's four aspects that the police will be looking at as either murder, uh, manslaughter, intentionally or recklessly causing serious injury, or accident. So it's a matter of building a case based on those four potential outcomes to try and support any allegations you make because what you allege as investigators, you must prove. Now, you've worked on some of Australia's highest profile criminal cases. So for a minute, could you put yourself in the shoes of the investigators on this case? What, for you, are some of the outstanding questions that you'd like to get answers to? Well, ultimately, it's a matter of the first situation is... um, I think they're still waiting on causation. Whilst the uh, investigators have been told by the hospitals that um, all the symptoms are similar to death cap mushroom poisoning uh, toxin, and because toxicology, as a result of the autopsies, um, takes some considerable time, that's what you'd be waiting on initially as an investigator because you need causation to find out that what has caused their death. There are natural deaths, there are early deaths that wasn't expected. Then you'll be speaking to all the people that are associated with the Patterson and Wilkinson family to uh, uh, identify, well, what was the relationship between the in-laws that actually attended her home on that dinner for that night? Also speaking to the uh, uh, ex-husband, Simon, uh, I understand through uh, media reports that he was actually invited uh, to go that evening and pulled out. Uh, obviously, uh, she has been spoken to, that's Erin, um, and seeing how this meal came about, why it came about, seeing if there's any animosities there, speaking to 
the uh, church fraternity that these people belong to in Lee and Gatha and Currumburra, and really expanding your whole investigation to see all the people that know these people than before investigators do to find out wherefore, why, when, how and why uh, this all happened, to try and glean the information to see if there's any criminality. Now, with police being involved, it's a matter of has a crime been committed? Is there criminality involved in the actions that this lady took or is it just an accident? I think we had one similar not that long ago where the uh, lady uh, poisoned her husband with uh, poisoning biscuits and she was sentenced to 16 years. But that was uh, probably some months ago, but that was an intentional thing and she made admissions because of uh, family violence. This is completely different. Here we have a, an act by a person, innocently or not, that has led to the deaths of three people and certainly the serious injury to one who's possibly still clinging to life. Now, you, you mentioned there in Wilkinson, he's, of course, the Baptist minister and his wife uh, died following the lunch and he's in critical condition. How important will his statement be for the police when he's well enough to talk? Well, certainly uh, crucial. Speaking to any surviving person uh, from a situation that led to three previous deaths is to see any processes, what may have been said, um, whether he throws more suspicion on the particular dinner is it unusual for them to go to dinner or was she so insistent? All these things are going to come from the surviving person. Certainly there's other survivors, there's certainly Erin, uh, but that's one story. But they would certainly like to get something more independent and uh, I don't know what the children have spoken about, uh, whether they were actually there. There's a bit of confusion from my perspective. Uh, I think some said she, the kids went to the movies. Is that usual? So she says it was usual. Is that to get him out of the house? All these suspicion things can certainly support a circumstantial case, but it doesn't prove criminality. So that's the fight that police have got in front of them. Now, while the this is a massive media story, I think there's a sense in Australia that actually the police know more than they're letting on, that the police have a lot of facts that has, has not made it into the public domain. It's less than a month since that fatal lunch. Where will the investigation, in your opinion, go from here? And and when will we know more? Well, the situation is, and I think it's already been said by senior police officers, that um, this is going to be a long and complex investigation. So they're flagging that already. Uh, and what you don't want to do as an investigator is have investigation by media um, and speculation. It's not fair to Erin. Um, if it turns out at the end of the day it's just a horrible accident, well, the, the trauma uh, she's been going through and continues to go through, um, and she could well be just a victim herself. Um, so in fairness to her, um, I think the police are doing the right thing in going along quietly, um, uh, uh, methodically, to make sure that every look everything is looked at evidentiary-wise so they can't go back or don't need to go back and say, well, we should have done this, we should have done that and they don't get the media speculation that hampers them. So, yep, playing the cards close to their chest, and realistically, it's in fairness, particularly to Erin, um, in, in support of her uh, and the children, uh, even though the children have been taken away from her initially. I don't know what the situation is at the moment, but that's just erring on a side of caution uh, because you just never know uh, what the situation is. So erring on a side of caution, the police have come in at homicide level, 
not leaving it to the local detectives to do. So they're ticking all the boxes and the fact that people want answers as to why three people are now dead and one is so seriously in hospital. Thanks very much, Charlie. Absolute pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks to our guests, John Ferguson and Charlie Bazina. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>